And I think that's the place, spaces like that don't allow people to show authentically. No. They want us to show, this is the box. Do you fit in the box? If not, then- Get in the box. Yeah, get in the box or go somewhere. Welcome to Authentic on Air with Bruce Alexander, and I am your host, Bruce Alexander. Derek Sire and I had such an incredible conversation that not only could it not fit into just one episode, but I had to release a second episode and a bonus. I guess there's a reason I chose him to be my mentor. Before we pick up with part two of our conversation, today's reflection. What role does your family play in your commitment to assert your authenticity? I want to teach my children to be brave and resourceful. A great way I can do that is by actively navigating this world with my heart and strategically finding ways to make this life work for me. Modeling this behavior gives me the greatest motivation. If I want to raise children who are living lives of fulfillment as themselves, I can start by attempting to do the same. If this reflection struck a chord with you, as always, I am genuinely interested and would love to hear any interesting, surprising, or revelational insights uncovered. So hit me up on Instagram, Facebook, Threads or LinkedIn at Authentic Identity Management. Now, let's return to our conversation, and I hope it's as insightful to you to listen as it was for me to have. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. And so that's why, I mean, my friends know that I will cut somebody off quick. <laughs> Like I, I mean, like this is this is where it gets deep on my side. Is like, I haven't talked to my mom in almost a year mm. because our relationship had gotten toxic. Yeah, and for me, it was like I don't need toxic in my life. Yeah, like you know, so at some point, hopefully something something gives and yeah. we can you know level it out. But right now, it was way it was way too toxic for me, and mm-hmm. that's like I don't separate. Yeah, where you do your thing, I'll do mine. Yeah, but the people who are inside my circle, like they know they can call me anytime, and I'll do whatever I can. To help them. Yeah. Because I'm your friend and I want to be whatever I can, whatever you need me to be. I want to be that for you. Yeah. That's, that's what friendship is to me. Yeah. And I, I don't know that people feel like, I say people, people who fit in this category feel like they can operate in that space safely. Mm-hmm. Right. Which I, I think safety, you know, there's a lots of components of like previous environments that I've been in that are similar where I didn't feel safe mm-hmm. or people who I thought could, I could trust turn it out to be untrustworthy or, you know, like I think there's all these things that come into play mm-hmm. as to why people don't invite other people into that space or why they don't share and create that sharing space. But I think whatever it is, man, like we got to get over it, bro. Mm. Like our isolation is detrimental. It is. Like when we get in that, because I know for me, bro, I will make up a story quick mm. in my mind. Like I will stew in my own space and I'd be like, I asked them for help. They said they couldn't help. I always help them out. This means they don't really respect me as a friend mm-hmm. and I ain't never going to ask them to, to, you know, it's like, that's, that's a slippery slope because then you find out that maybe they had something going on Absolutely. and they wanted to help and they just couldn't, mm-hmm. but they didn't communicate that. Yeah. And then I was like, man, I done made you out to be a whole villain, mm-hmm. you know, and you were supposed to be my friend. Like I've given you a position and then I villainize you for not being able to do that position well without knowing the whole story. And, and I think an important component of that for me is showing up as yourself from the start. Mm-hmm. It's like some people show up as this person that they think their their new friends want them to be. And then whenever they're called on as that Ooh. person, 
they can't provide it. Yeah, it's versus, versus being like, yeah, it's not sustainable. Yeah. Versus being who you are. Uh-huh. Like, once again, my friends know, like, I'm not here for BS. Like, yeah. I, you know, if you don't want to be my friend, like, don't claim to be my friend. Like, yeah. if I call you and invite you to hang out three times in a month, mm-hmm. you say no every time, Ooh. I'm going to stop calling you. Yeah. Because that's not, that's not friendship to me. Yeah. Like, you know, we, and, and there's a difference between me saying, like, like, my friend will invite me out all the time. I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm not that person. Yeah. I'm not going to like my family life is very important to me. If you want to hang out with me, come kick it at the crib. Yeah. Or, or set up some sort of family friendly environment mm-hmm. where we can go kick it as family. Yeah. That's the kind of friends I need. Yeah. And they know that about me. They're, you know, they're not going to say, well, I called you three times and invited you to the club three times and you didn't show up. It's like, duh, that's <laughs> what it was when you met me. Like right. nothing's changed. <laughs> so versus you're like, Hey, I invited you to dinner. I invited you to meet me out at this thing. I invited you to meet. And you just keep ghosting me like, yeah, we're obviously not right for each other. Oof. And it's, t- and it's tough sometimes because I think we get caught up in niceties. Mm. Like we want to be seen as the, <laughs> you know, the good person or the nice person. And so we tolerate stuff or we try to put on a, an air that makes everybody feel comfortable. And showing up your most authentic version of yourself initially is hard, bro. Mm-hmm. I mean, because that's if that's as transparent as I get. If, I, if there's no other version of me and this is the most honest, sincere version that you're ever going to get and you don't like it. Oh, people pleasing. Yeah. I, I think that's something that, I mean, I say talk about the journey and arriving and developing. That's something that I struggle with right now because a yes feels so good. Mm-hmm. Like when, when people like you or when they want to meet with you or you have something that they have versus uh, like, I think I've been, I've been a, a part of like this connection circle and I put my place there. I put my, my value in that space for so long that when I'm unable to do it, sometimes I feel like, man, what am I doing? Mm. But what I've learned now is like to be more selective with my yeses so I can get full yeses yeah. instead of partial yeses. Mm. Right. It's like um, we, we met for coffee the other day and not only was I late initially, but I, I walked around outside for like 15 Talk minutes on the, phone. on the phone call. Cause I said, I said yes to something I shouldn't have said yes to, mm. but it was like, and it was a mentee. And I was like, man, like he calls me, he needs me. Uh, but at the end of the conversation, I was like, man, this wasn't even really important. Like I, I said yes to something that I knew wasn't important because I wanted him to feel like he could call me and I pick up. And, you know, it's all this other stuff. But. Well, see, and what, what for me is important there is that you realize I don't care. Mm. Like, because I already know about you, that you're a person who is there for the people who need you. Yeah. So this guy, he called, he needed something this morning. You were late. Because your daughter had a flat. Yeah. Your daughter needed you. Yeah. You're going to show up for the people who need you. Mm. So a lot of times that person is running behind because they had another thing to do. But they know that you, that they made, that you made a commitment to me. Yeah. So you're still going to be here. Yeah. But you might be a little late. So for me, I'm like, I'll take the, that uh, that dependability, mm-hmm. knowing that you're going to show up at some point. Yeah. You know, it may, it may be like 15, 20 minutes late. But I, I'd rather take knowing that you're definitely going to show up than like, I don't know if I can actually count on you. Yeah. Because you're not a person who's actually there for the people mm. who you make commitments to. I appreciate and, it. And you. as a, you know, as a mentee, like, you know, we talked about before is like a mentee's for life. So yeah. you, you made a commitment to that person, whether, you know, you talked about having to coach him about what urgent is. Exactly. And that's, you know, I that's a conversation that y'all are going to have, but yeah. you still made that commitment and you were honoring that commitment. It's like, damn, I haven't really got him to understand this yet. Mm-hmm. So I need to take this phone call until he understands this. And, and I like, I respect the hell out of that. Thank you. I and, appreciate you know, it. My wife doesn't love it. She's like, you said you were going to be gone for an hour and a half. And you're gone for two and a half. I was like, listen, 
It's kind of my fault because I did wait. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> she's like, all right. So, yeah, that's, I mean. I'm sorry, wifey. Whatever you want. <laughs> Thank you. We appreciate you. Well, it's funny because I used to be the light person. Yeah. Like, I used to be the person who was light everywhere. The fire department did a lot of things. It gave me a lot of things. It yeah. gave me, like, some structure and discipline. It taught me that being 15 minutes early is on time. Mm. Like, and that's, you know, the fire, at the fire department, that's actually still kind of late. You kind of want to be, like, 30 minutes early. Really? It's like, so. Especially when you were uh, starting the, the process, it's like you, if you show up 15 minutes early, you're probably not getting a job. Like they want the person who's there waiting at 30 minutes early. Like that's, wow. and they like really ingrained that in you. But it also, it also gave me a really thick skin because I was just brutalized. And, you know, uh, so much of the, like who I was yeah. was not acceptable for the fire department. Mm, I've heard you say that a couple of times. Yeah. Being a person who's outspoken. Who has their like own individual thought? Yeah, not like it's not that I didn't want to be part of a team. I did. Mm-hmm. I just had thoughts and ideas and input. And there, whenever you work in emergency services, mm-hmm. there's a time and a place. I wasn't great at that part. Yeah, it was like I'd have a thought. You know, I I got in trouble for talking back on a fire scene once. Mm-hmm. It was like I had a thought, and I was like, "What about this?" And they were like, "Do what you're told." Mm-hmm. And in a in an emergency situation, you do have to do what you're told. Yeah. But the way that they build that into you is by making you do what you're told all the time mm. and never questioning. No it. nuance. Yeah, it's like there's, yeah. no, there's no nuance. And it's like and maybe there maybe there was for other people. Yeah. But because of how I operate, I didn't get it early. So then it was just hammered all the time everywhere. Not everywhere I went. Like there was a, a station I went to that was actually really great. Yeah. But the, where I spent the majority of my time, they just hammered me all the time with, Ooh. you know both you're not here to think and secondly you're not one of us wow and that was that was super hard you know you spend 24 hours at a time with somebody yeah an entire group of people who hang out outside of work yeah and don't invite you yeah who you know watch things purposely that you know whatever i was studying is like oh bruce really wants to let's watch this thing Mm. and they would and i'm like i thought we were gonna no, we just watched it without you. Mm. Like driving me farther and farther away from the group whenever these people have have your life in their hands at times. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's tough, man. That's very tough. But coming out of that, it helped me very quickly say, never again. Yeah. Never again am I going to let somebody determine my self-worth on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. That, that's for me to do. Yeah, I wonder how many people can see to fit in, though. Right. Oh, that's, so many. That's some of the things that we're talking about today. I mean, it's so, like, so many. Like the fire department is all about becoming part of the whole. And and for the, you know, for the duty of it, it is important. Mm-hmm. But the culture is so toxic because there's there is a room for the individuality. Yeah. And then at the at the highest levels, they're starting to teach that. Mm-hmm. But at the lowest level, it's not, not your play. Yeah, it's not taking root. <laughs> so there, there are people that are literally shaving out parts of their personality. Oh, yeah. In order to fit in. I, I mean, I, I did it for the first four years. Like, like I shaved down till I was unrecognizable to myself oh my for the first four years because it was like, I'm a talker. I love talking. I love having conversations. Yeah. It was like, don't talk. You mm. talk too much. Mm. You Like, you talk to stop talking so much. Jeez. And it was to where I just walked around like a zombie all the time didn't have any thoughts because i was told not to do that yeah 
And like that killed me. And so I, I didn't realize how bad it was mm-hmm. until I got out of the field and got into public education. And it was like, hey, you can talk now. Mm. You can go talk to big groups of people. Like, we want you to. That's your and job. It, and it was like, and all of a sudden, like, I felt like a balloon. <laughs> so much weight was lifted off me. I was like, oh, my God. I did not realize that I had totally transformed. Yeah who I started to who I was now. Yeah. And even then, like the, you know, the trauma didn't go away. It's still like, I still was paranoid all the time that somebody was going to do this or that. And there were still people who didn't want me to succeed. And, you know, there was a lot of pressure to do certain things. And then leaving the fire department, having that same feeling of the way that, Oh, there was still so much weight there. Yeah. I still woke up and went into work with so much pressure to be something I wasn't. Wow. It's like, oh, now I'm actually seeing for the first time, like, this is what it actually feels like to show up as yourself. Yeah. Do you think that there's a a balance? Because I think of like, um, I think of uh, the the value of fitting into a system. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the importance there, but I feel like this next generation is so individualistic mm-hmm. that they have. I don't want to like a segment. Um, we have we have um, we have so many more personalities and preferences to cater to right. in the public space now than I think before. Then it was like uh, if if you are if you have the money or if you have are the owner of the business or you are in some sort of management supervision, then you're the one that has all the personality. You have all the air out of mm-hmm. the room. You have all the decision making, and then everyone else was you do what you told whether you worked at Macy's or whether you worked at an assembly line or whether you, whatever it was, mm-hmm. you, it was, it was two personality types. Either you're doing the telling or you're being doing what you're told. Right. Now I feel like there's so many more things to, to account for that it either slows up the process. Um, what am I trying to say? I just think, I just, I wonder how, it, what's the middle? Of like, yeah, and you you had started, you had started to say, do you think there's any value in in the system of you know like people playing roles? I think is what you were getting to. Or, yeah, and and I do like. I mean, I definitely like the fire department provided a lot of understanding. Like the the chain of command, uh-huh. I think, is a very smart thing to implement in a business. Okay, having somebody who is at the head mm-hmm. who has the biggest vision. Yeah. And then having people below them who have smaller and smaller vision mm-hmm. and have smaller and smaller oversight but they pay attention to what they are supposed to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Like when you do that, everybody can be more focused. There's a, you know, the, it talks about the span of control of the division of labor. Mm-hmm. Whenever you have a span of control, that's from five to seven people. Yeah. You're able to maximize their talents. Okay. You're able to maximize their efficiency. Yeah. And that to me is something that is very useful to be able to like have a team. Yeah. Say everybody now, this is not a part that was hugely brought in. It was like, that's where it stopped. It was like, I'm, I'm the boss of these five to seven people. Mm-hmm. These five to seven people listen to me, and they talk to the five to seven people directly below them. Mm-hmm. The difference for me is I have five to seven unique individuals that bring different talents to the table. Yeah. I listen to them, uh-huh. see what, they have, what information they have to provide for me. Then I put them to work at what they're going to succeed best at. And that's that as if I was a CEO, that's what I would do. Yeah. That's how I would, you know, build the company out is that everybody would have something that they are that they're directly responsible for. But it's not only something that they're good at. Hopefully it's something that they love. Yeah. And like, and they're able to be passionate about. So they're not only 
working hard because they're trying to be a good employee. They're doing work that they love. So it's, you know, it's not even a question. Yeah. I, I like, I like the concept of everyone having space to breathe into a project, mm-hmm. to, to bring their own creativity and problem solving skills and awareness. It's just, it seems like it's, it's more of that now in the workspace and navigating all those personalities. You got to have effective leadership in place in order to navigate all those personalities, Absolutely. all those unique things. And I, I think that there were, we're in a, a space where we're transitioning out of the old mode of management into this new era of like, of like, do what I said versus, all right, are we all on the same page? Mm-hmm. Right. And then moving forward and any, any book that you lead is like, if you get the buy-in from the people, then you don't have to carry or push that vision. They'll right. do it for you. Absolutely. Right. But I think transitioning from, you know, showing up to, and this is what in my mind, I imagine it is, because uh, my dad used to carry a briefcase mm-hmm. like when he was in management. It was like showing up to work with a briefcase is different than logging on from a coffee shop, you know, that has Wi-Fi. Yeah, I, I don't think I could manage effectively a complete remote business. You don't think so? I don't think I could. Like yeah. for me, the in-person, mm-hmm. like, so for me, like, I think that the remote is very good for passing along information, working mm-hmm. together on projects, like anything that is purely, it, it's, it's already agreed upon. Yeah. Like there's, there's no persuasion needed. There's no motivation needed. There's no, it, you don't need to feel energy, mm-hmm. but whenever it talks to getting buy-in, mm-hmm. whenever it comes to like getting, like persuading somebody, like making sales pitches yeah. or like, you know, trying to pitch your vision on a project, whatever. I feel like to do that well, you have to be in person. Like, I mean, I, I don't think you have. To. Yeah, I do. I do. I, I'm, He's like, I'm sticking to it. I'm sticking to it. It's like, I know for me, I know yeah. that every, you know, whenever I was, you know, in fundraising, every deal I closed was in person. Yeah. And it was like, you know, we may have had calls on, you know, Zoom. We may have talked on the phone. Nothing ever closed until they were able to get in the same room with me and feel my energy. Mm. And then they were like, yep, I want to sign on with you. Yeah. You're somebody I want to work with. Yeah. And, that you can't you can't transmit your energy through like through technology yet i'm sure there might be a way soon but yeah i think we're we're figuring that that space out i mean we're we're gonna have to i mean the competitive market is i I believe is gonna be 75 percent remote especially for if it's not a production type of industry Mm -hmm. like if it's all sales if it's all service based then i think that people that's going to be a part of contract negotiations now is half remote or you know like whatever it is but I think you know as, as you're talking as you're as we're talking about this concept of um like having to shave off our personalities or parts of ourselves in order to fit or how can can we show up our most authentic selves I think part of that um has to do with how we shape individuals um from from birth mm-hmm. right I know that uh, the school system is very uh rigid mm-hmm. A rigid place, and they uh, teach toward the middle instead of the top of the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, and then other places teach to the bottom, and everybody else in the middle of the top is, you know, dog eat dog. And generally, for the school system, it's all taught towards being efficient, an efficient mm-hmm. worker. Basically, we homeschool our kids. So yeah, like anybody who knows me knows I'm not a big fan of the school system. Mm-hmm. I think that there is so much good that could be done there. Yeah, that's being ignored. So I'll let you get back to that. Yeah, but I'm just saying, I think, I think that um, that's going to have to change, right? Like when we set up our, our school system, you know, uh, in the, the early 1900s, it was industrial based. 
And so, like, I mean, it had to be for the country to survive, really. Like, mm-hmm. it, it needed to be that. And I get absolutely. that, but it's really time for an update. <laughs> I absolutely agree. I mean, when you talk about the rigidness of a factory, we needed to replicate that in the classroom. Mm-hmm. We need to put, you know, rotation on the bell schedule. We needed to have rows and we need to have all eyes facing in one direction. Mm-hmm. And I think that unless we evolve and change uh, with the industry, uh, then we'll continue to set people up to be carbon copies of each other. Now, thinking back, the um, the first time I met you, we mm-hmm. were at a uh, um, a networking thing. At, I think it was at Powell, and mm-hmm. the superintendent of Oklahoma City Schools was speaking. Yeah, and he was talking about um, how they're building in these new STEM packages, yeah. which which ki- it kind of sounded like what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. I didn't do any further research because I don't um, I don't send my kids to school, yeah. but I was cur- I was curious as to if that was a thing that was really taking hold, if they really are trying to like change the method in which education is given. Yeah, I think they want to, uh, early on, what do they call it? Uh, it's called ICAP. Uh-huh. It's like Individual um, Student Something Plan. And uh, they're really trying to find out early on kind of these interest, interest paths of students and uh, individual career something. Anyhow. Um, and so what they're doing with the $1 billion uh, bond that we just passed in Oklahoma City Public Schools is they're trying to create these on-site opportunities for them to uh, like supplement their learning. Okay. And so you'll have like a very traditional way of learning where you have math and history and science, things like that. But also on-site, what we've had to do with our schools here in Oklahoma City is they had to go to another place in order to explore different careers. Right. This is where our metro techs come yes. in, our, our career techs. Mm-hmm. And so if you wanted to get outside of a non-traditional school path, then you had to spend half a day doing something else. Or you right. had to do summer school or after school or something like that. Mm-hmm. But they're trying to weave it into the traditional path now. So uh, you don't have to go somewhere else. You can go across campus. Mm-hmm. And they're implementing this first at the high school level and then trickle down to the middle school. And I think that's really cool. I, I think they're, they, they're starting to look forward and make, um, and, and make college not the only entry point into professionalism, yeah. which I think is great. Yeah, absolutely. I, I also think we're about 80 years behind, uh, right? That, that's generous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you go from like parents who, like I said, who didn't graduate um, and they, at eighth grade, seventh grade, picked up a, um, what do they call it? They call it a um, uh, occupation is what mm-hmm. they call it. Yeah, you didn't, I mean, you became a foreman or you became whatever it is and you learn how to do the thing in seventh and eighth grade. And then they start pushing college, right? And then you go to college, that was supposed to be the entry point into professionalism. But what they did is they took away all the occupations. Mm -hmm. And so now people were going to get degrees and they're coming back and working in fields that they didn't need need degrees for. And so now we're starting to see that trend go back that way. Mm -hmm. And the reason I like it to circle back around is because now it gives our kids access to be individuals. Right. It allows them to explore areas of their personality and their interests. Um, and then they can move in that direction without accruing all the debt or wasting the time in college. And, they they're, can, and they're actually leaving high school with a tangible skill. Absolutely. Which, which used to great. be the case. Yeah. Which, which started out as a case. And yeah. We went way away from that. And yeah. Anyone even leaving college with a tangible skill. It was just with a, with with a degree. degree and no ability to be able to do a thing. Absolutely. Right? So that's I, I think that's good. And so the kids now, I think what we're seeing is that. Um, they're, they're so uh, tapped into who they want to be early, mm. right? And whether that is career or gender or sexuality mm. or uh, traditional family structure or whatever education, whatever it is, 
we're tapped into this this space earlier now where it's like, who do you want to be? Mm-hmm. And I think that the people who who wasted half their life trying to figure that out is now pouring back into the system and saying, man, if I would have had somebody ask me this question or give me this opportunity in eighth grade, then I wouldn't have wasted these other eight years trying to figure out what I know mm-hmm. now. And so I think that's really cool. Um, you know, there's some caveats here and there as far as like, who, who do you exactly. want to be? You know, I, I don't know that you can have one without the other, but I think that the individual part of not shaving off who you are in order to become what other people want you to be is the heart of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Yeah. Who do you want to be? I don't want you. I, is there an industry where you can step into that allows you to be your most authentic self Monday through Sunday? Mm-hmm. Is there is there an art? Is there a skill? Is there a tool that you can have in your hand? Is there an industry, a group of people that will allow you to step in and be the most authentic version of yourself? If there is, then let's figure out who you are so we can then identify the industry or the space that you want to be in. And if I could have been within 10 miles of answering that question, leaving high school. Oh my gosh. Like this podcast would be about 10 years old. <laughs> I would have been in this space way earlier. Yeah. Like, because honestly, I didn't find out that what my biggest strength was, was having conversations and like, you know, putting ideas together. Yeah. And like helping people, like how to put that all together. Yeah. I didn't know I wanted to put it together. Oh my gosh. Didn't even know it was an option. Like mm-hmm. there's so many different things that were like barriers to entry to getting to this place here. Yeah. And if there would have been modes of, you know, just getting some of the other stuff out of the way. First off, my first thing I wanted to do leaving high school was be a, a corporate lawyer. Really? Yes. Do you know why? No. Money. Oh, that, was, like, that was my driving thing is I wanted to make lots of money. I wanted to make money. Yeah. And then d- directly <laughs> after that, like once I got to college and thought about what the courses would take, um, was immediately not that. I, was like, I don't want to do that. That yeah. sounds terrible. But then I wanted to be like, it still a, sounds terrible. Yeah, it still does. <laughs> I wanted to be a publicist for like, uh, like in the entertainment industry. Uh-huh. And that, you know, that to me still sounds good because of the networking part of it. Yeah. Of the part where you get out and you talk to people and mm-hmm. you get to, go to events and you like all that still sounds good, but it took me a long time to get to what actually was the, um, the root of that. Yeah. And it was, it was about, you know, communication and community. Mm -hmm. And like, now that I get that, I was like, that's, Oh, that's the thing I was looking for. And all this other stuff I was doing. Yeah. And you don't need anybody to provide that for you. Like I'm going to, I'm going to start doing it right here for my, Center of my house. Yeah. And, you know, and as it builds out, we'll get bigger and bigger. And I love that, man. Yeah. And in and, and that to me, there's like it, there's no um like when I think about people who feel like maybe it's too late, mm. right? Or um I'm stuck in this place, so now I gotta do it. I know people that are in that space right now. It's like I have a friend that lives out in Tennessee, and she's like, I've been teaching for 20 years, and uh I have so many more years of retirement because I started so early, and she's like Part of me wants to try something else, but 20 years, like I'm, I'm in, I don't feel like I have any other, other options. And I, I hate, I hate, uh, it's unfortunate yeah. that when people feel like this is all I've known. And so this is all I'm going to do. And I understand the hesitation to become something different after you, uh, after you've solidified your identity in another space mm-hmm. and that's all people are going to, it took me forever. Like when I, when I did games and recs and things like that. And so when people in Oklahoma city saw me, they're like, Oh, it's the sports guy. 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, ooh, like Oklahoma City, let me evolve. Please, you know. And it and it took for me to go outside of the state and do all these really cool things that when I come back and it's like, oh, it's the mentor. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, thank you. Like I wanted to do that here, mm-hmm. but the people wouldn't let wouldn't let me change. And I can totally see someone saying, Well, I'm the sports guy. So now I gotta be the sports guy forever because I've put so much, I've invested so much time and energy in becoming that. That the people won't let me change. I think it's called the cost in bias. Ooh. Whenever, whenever it talks about, I've already spent this much money, mm-hmm. time, effort into this project. I have to see. I it gotta better. finish. It. I have. So, case in point, fire department. Yeah, like ten years when you become best in retirement. Twenty five is whenever you you get your full retirement benefits. Mm-hmm. I was in for twenty five. That was the plan. Because I was going to do twenty five years. Because at that point. Everything I put in is going to pay off huge. Man, I was miserable. I was miserable in year one. In year one, I was miserable. Yeah, but I was I was convinced I was going to do twenty five years, and I was I was resigned to do that until the situation became you know so toxic that it was leave or get fired. Oh my god! And it was like okay, God has obviously given me a sign. Go somewhere different. Do something different. Mm -hmm. It was like. Okay, because I've been thinking about it for a long time. Mm-hmm. I was I was terrified to pull the trigger because I spent too much into this. Yeah, it took me two years to get on, like you know, to physically get ready to do go through the interview process, mm-hmm. and you know, and then start the job. The first year is a nightmare. Ugh. You have to go through recruiting. I had to go to EMT school while doing my first rotations Man. and having a new baby. I had spent a lot. My wife had to you know take care of our family completely by herself mm-hmm. for the first year. It was impossible to think and now i just leave yeah no yeah no, i can't do that I've, and then you know i'm in too deep i'm in too deep and guess what i did leave and i feel so much better sometimes making the decision to leave mm-hmm. despite what you spent mm-hmm. is the better decision my goodness and it's you know and like i said i was i was put in a corner yeah like the choice was made for me like god was like listen I'm going to take it out of your hands for you because this is bad. Ah. Like, I'm just, I'm going to do, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to do you a solid. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to just make this decision for you. Yeah. I was like, now you, you can just choose how you want to eat this pill, uh-huh. but you're getting it. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And then at that point it was like, the, 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 oh, I can breathe. Yeah. It's like, well, there's so much more air in my chest. Mm-hmm. And now like, I just feel, I feel bad for everybody else who's trying to fit themselves either in a way into something that is not right or in something that's not right. Yeah. Cause sometimes you, you know, it is the situation that you're dealt with and you do have to deal with it, but you can show up in a way that just creates more breathing room. For mm-hmm. you, right. And sometimes you're the way you create more breathing room is by changing the situation. Ooh, that's tough, bro. <laughs> cause cause people feel like, I mean, it's my livelihood. It's my retirement. I've invested time. And I, the, I think the worst thing, one of the worst things that I've ever put myself in is being in a space and then spending so much time and looking back, thinking like, man, I don't like uh, it, I, I do this sometimes with like uh, with like money. I'm like, man, if I would have invested then, you know, and you're looking five, six, seven years down the line. Mm-hmm. Like, man, if I would have, there are people that, um, that, that talk to 18 year olds and are like, if you save $100 a week now, by the time that you're 30, you'll have, you know, and people that are 30 looking back are thinking like, man, somebody would tell me that at 18 is like, but would you really have? It's like, are you going to do it now? Then? Right. Cause you can start now. And in 10 years, you'll look back and say, and, if I would exactly. And I think people feel like that about their careers of like, 
they, they're looking forward, looking forward, looking forward. And they're like, man, if I can just, if I can just, but it's like, what's the sacrifice of moving towards that goal? Like how much of yourself are you going to lose? Mm-hmm. Or how much of, you know, your fire are you going to lose? Or how much of your creativity are you going to sacrifice? Like in order to try to fit into this thing that everybody says you should fit in. Right. It's like everybody's trying to work for this 25 year full retirement type thing. And it's like, I guess that's cool for some people. But you have to assess whether or not that's your story. I mean, there are a lot of people who love the fire department. They mm-hmm. say it's the best job in the world. And for, mm-hmm. for a lot of people, it is. Yeah. For me, it was not. Yeah. For people who look like me, it is often not. Mm-hmm. Especially like being a bigger dude, like being overweight yeah. and being black. Mm-hmm. That's not a good look. Mm. Like you're supposed to be fit if you're a black dude. Yeah. If you're if you're a fit black dude, things are totally different for you. Yeah. But all of a sudden, like I and whenever I have a different idea, they're like, you're lazy. Ugh. You're trying to you're trying to get out of work, and I was like, no, I think there's a better way to do it. And right? No, you're just you know you just lazy. So that's that's a whole different feels, but um, which is tough, right? Because yeah. it's like if we're trying to be an inclusive place, then let me represent the change that could take place, and that's unfair to say that someone is something because they they look or sound or present mm-hmm. a certain way, and I think that's the place. Spaces like that don't allow people to show up authentically. No, they want us to show. This is the box. Do you fit in the box? If not. Get in the box. Yeah, get, get in the box or go somewhere else. And I think, again, that's uh, the, the, the part of me, I feel like I'm about to squirrel. The part of me that understands the value of the box also wants the, the box to change. Right. It's like, it's like um, one, one of my uh, like sub platforms is to represent to the world what professionalism looks like. Right. It's like maybe it's just not a box. It's a polygon. <laughs> like I'm serious. What, like, whatever it is. It's we, like, we change the number of sides and the size of it. It's where it's like, yes, you're still contained yeah. in something. Mm-hmm. But there's much more room for you to figure out different angles and find different space. Yeah. That's I mean, because I think that there does need to be constraints on certain things. Yeah. And honestly, like some of like my favorite things I've done, like, you know, with art and different creative stuff has come from having stri- like, you know, strict constraints. Mm-hmm. So it's like it can create some awesome things, but whenever it's like, eh, eh, and then you know, just like the box, now there's you can't move. You can you got four sides to look at this from. Yeah, that's not a whole lot. Like maybe we need just a few more sides, you know, a little more space. And we miss out when we when we don't uh, include opportunity for other shapes to be involved. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I think if if you want if you if this is the shape that you want, then you get whatever fits into that box, Mm -hmm. and that that could be by design. Absolutely fine. But I think that as we're talking about people showing up in their most authentic selves, how how can we create spaces where people don't have to shave off very important parts of their personality in order to do the thing? Then I think that has to challenge the system, right? Mm-hmm. And I and I know we're talking about some very lofty concepts. That's, right that's now. what I was thinking. Too. Yeah, I think we're very like eagle view, bird's eye view, and um, I know those conversations are good to have, but eventually we have to settle somewhere. But I'm saying when I think about people being able to show up. And then most authentic selves, without having to shave off large parts of their personality, then you start to get into, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? And it's like, no, let's just figure it out when we get there. Mm. Like, do I want to include as many people as possible? If not, then, and this is a very uh, exclusive group, then let's let it be exclusive for whatever reason and then create other opportunities for people to fit in similar environments that may not be this one. Mm. And I know that's so, that's so vague. But I, but I'm saying like I think that boxes or shapes they 
exist for a very specific reason. Mm-hmm. And I want to challenge why those reasons exist. Because yeah. because it's like, I, I wanted to be a firefighter. I tried out three times to be a firefighter. Really? You, we didn't know, you never told me that. Let me tell you this. We was out at the OSU OKC location uh-huh. and um, they do the like the, the run and then the push up the, the roof and mm-hmm. then pull the water hose and then the drag the thing. And I came in, tested, got past the test. And I was like, is there any particular reason why I can't advance? One, they wouldn't tell me. Then two, one guy was like, man, you know, we just give points for certain things, man. I'm like, you're doing great, but there's other people. And I'm like, oh, that's why. So I moved on to a different career field. But I'm saying, like, I wonder if I would have gotten in as creative and as open-minded and as outspoken, but also as somebody that uh, attempts to try to fit into different spaces, like how successful would I have been? And could I have done this if I had spent 15 years there? You know, just like exploring all these different things. And it's like, I don't know, like you, you have a better ability to, as my wife, she put it really, uh, really poetically on the last podcast to be able to make yourself small. Mm. And like, I don't think that's a very good thing, mm-hmm. but you do, you do that. I do that well. And when you do that, the you know the people like the the alphas in the fire department say okay all right you can get in line all right cool yeah i am not good at that no whenever you're not good at making yourself small and mm-hmm. saying like oh, i'm sorry like yeah let's just do it your way it's like if you challenge people all the time yeah they don't see you as like a uh as a maverick mm-hmm. they see you as a problem yeah you are a problem you are a nail that needs to be hammered down yeah and so, I mean, if you just make yourself small, you're already down. You don't, you know, so you probably would have did, you would have done all right. Yeah. And, you know, you're very personable. Like, you know, they like funny people. Like mm-hmm. you would have done great. My friend Tommy, who's on there now, another black dude, he's, he's really funny. Yeah. Not great at making himself small, but he's really funny. So yeah. even when people are like going at him, he can light him up and then everybody else will laugh. Yeah. So then they know, Ooh, I can't come at this guy. Yeah. I can, I can't do it this way. Not with him. I didn't have that. Yeah. That's he is like, so I was like, I, the, the things I needed to make myself either small mm-hmm. or protect myself, mm-hmm. I didn't have them. Mm-hmm. And so for a lot of people, they're, you know, they're able to do those things and navigate the world. And like for the time I was there, yeah. the amount of financial security it gave me, mm-hmm. gave me the ability to see ahead and to actually envision a life in which I didn't do that. Or, you know, I did this or whatever to actually like look at the future and not to how are we going to pay rent this month? Right. And so like for a, as a career to like get to a different place, mm-hmm. I mean, it, there was nothing else for me that yeah. could have beat it, but for the, for the culture. Yeah. <sighs> uh, I mean, I wonder how, how much time do we have? Uh, <laughs> I mean, we've got a little over, but I, I think, I think this is a really good conversation. Yeah. And I think it's Be, important because I think that people, if I had to narrow down, like if we're using the fire department, not to single out the fire department, but we're using it. Yeah. If I wanted to be a firefighter and they told me firefighters not only have to do this physically, but they generally talk like this. Their humor is like this. Mm-hmm. This is what the environment looks like. And I can match up who I am with what would be required in order for me to be successful. I think that would be an ideal entry point into the profession. But I think the bad part is that's not what happens. I don't know that there's a 
they say, this is the type of personality you have to have. This is the type of character you have. This type of, they say things like well, hard workers committed, you know, mm-hmm. long term. They say things like that. But it was like, if, if I could look at the industry and I could say I can fit, either I can fit how I am or I'm willing to shave myself down in order to fit. I think it gives people the opportunity to one, either decide to fit and shave and or create other avenues. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, um, I have many things going through my mind. I, <laughs> I, I, what I don't want to do is change. <sighs> I understand. I understand why basketball players look a certain way. Mm-hmm. I understand why football players look a certain way. Like football players, they just need more muscle mass. Like you're literally running your body into other human beings at 19, 20, 21 miles per hour. You got to have muscle under the pad. And I understand that. Right. But if somebody who didn't have muscle wanted to play the sport and they're like, well, I want to bigger. Yeah, I really want to play football. Like, can I stay this size and play and be successful? Or do I have to, to change my. <laughs> I hate that I even brought that up because it's such a lofty example. I'm just saying, I want to be able to, to, I want, I want people to be able to say, can I play football? Can I be a firefighter? Can I be a graphic artist? Can I be a business owner? Can I be, and what does it take to, to be that? And if not, if I don't have that, can I create another place where I can still do the thing without fitting in this box? Yeah. I mean, like the, that's so lofty though. Bruce. And, and both of those examples, no, you can't. You don't like, think so? No, you can't create another place where you can go play pro football. No. There, has, there's not one that exists. The, the XFL has failed three times. <laughs> like, yeah, obviously, it's pretty hard to create another NFL. Yeah. The fire department is the fire department. Yeah. Like, there's no other place. You but can, we have, like, volunteer firefighters, don't we? We do, and nobody takes them seriously. Really? Uh, at least, I'm sorry, at least the fire department doesn't. And, and to get this... <laughs> Our fire department is one of the best in the in the United States. Really, like cutting edge, like oh, that's uh, cool. you know the science, the um, the me- the measures in which they take to yeah. fight fire and prevent fire, both cutting edge, like the best in the country. Mm-hmm. But the culture, I mean, the culture is probably honestly one of the best in the country as yeah. well. But the, just the culture of the fire department as a whole is one of other like otherdom and less than. And that's, you know, and part of it is because there are some good reasons mm-hmm. that provide this bad culture, yeah. which is you have to look away, which provides confidence in the people who the public mm. like you have to be away all the time. And that's, you know, some of the things to how you behave has to be above approach, all these things like in public, at least. But there's also things that have nothing to do with that. You know, it's like the way a person eats has nothing to do with their public, mm. you know, persona, but they will pick you apart if you're, you know, if your plate's too big for, you know, the one guy, like, oh, that is huge plate, man. Yeah. You take a freaking circus animal, jump over that. Mm-hmm. Like if you like there was a guy who would just ride me the way I drove. He's like, look at you, the way you hold your hands. You look like you're you look like you're driving a damn bus or something. It's like, how do you I'm at 10 and two. Like, what else do you want me to do? Like, I'm learning this thing. Yeah. I'm driving a fire engine. It's mm-hmm. huge. Like, and you're barking at me. So yeah, I'm nervous. I might look a little clenched right now. Yeah. And, but I'll just ride you. And that's, there's nothing 
I don't think beneficial long term for that because there's all these, you know, all these traumas that just slowly build up and all of a sudden you stop trusting the people you work with. So the question is, is it so is it important to not budge on who we let in industries like that? Because I'm a, you have to have a certain they they let me in. Well, I'm saying but for, they got me out. So. But but for for there to be like when I think about the army. Right. It's like uh, or, or even law enforcement. Like I, I think about the officers that I'm friends with and they talk about the number of officer fatalities increasing because of their hesitant. Like they, hes- they hesitate to shoot. Right. And it's like you're taught like in grand, like get control of the situation and then assess everything afterwards. Like mm-hmm. if you go in trying to assess, 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 then that's when, you know, civilian casualties go up, officer casualties go up. And so they're taught to, to go in and get control of the situation and then we'll de-escalate instead of like de-escalate and get control and then, you know, all that. stuff. So, so it's like when I think about the personality, the character type that that these officers have, it makes sense to me that the casualties or the way that people go in and, and everybody's like, why do our officers have to be this way? Can't they have additional training? Can't they have? And the officers are like, yeah, 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 we'll do the training. But when you got a gun in your face, like, what do you do? And we're getting people that are dying because they don't fit this personality style. Or they don't fit this character style. We need people to come in, guns blazing, get control, and then we'll de-escalate afterwards instead of trying to come in and deal with all this other stuff. And so for me, when I'm thinking about law enforcement, it's like, okay, while I would love for my local law enforcement officer to be in touch with his, his or her feelings, <laughs> and to be emotionally astute, man, it's like the other part of me needs them to gain control. And so, do I want to have officers? Do I want them to create training that allows for leeway for more officers that aren't this do you told type of mentality? Or do they need to have that switch? I see. What I think it is, is there needs to be more segmentation in the job responsibilities of the police department. Okay, like because there's a lot of check welfares. Like there's a you know there's a homeless guy laying on the side of the road. Yeah. They're called, the police are called to a check welfare, uh-huh. right? They don't need to be there. So there's no gun on hip that needs to show up for that. Exactly. Uh-huh. There, there's no need for the police to be there right off the bat. Right. Like, there's no, like, implied threat. Yeah. But they show up, and their job is to deal as if there's an implied threat. Like, their job is to walk in and assess the situation yeah. and get under control immediately. Okay. So they don't walk up to this, you know, this dude who's likely got some sort of mental problem. Mm-hmm. They don't say, hey, man, what's going on with you? They say, show me your hands. Yeah. And he's like, you know, he might hear voices. You don't know what's going on in his head. Yeah. So if he did have a weapon, he might reach for it because maybe that's, uh, you know, Charlie, who he knows whenever that voice comes, he's got to do a specific thing. Yeah. So, But they're going to react in a way. It's like, oh, he's he's reaching. Yeah. And they're going to pull the gun. And that's how people who had no reason getting shot end up dead. So so do we so we need do we need to expand the training of police officers? Or do we need to include people in the force that that are unique to that demographic? I, I think that it's take away responsibilities of police officers. I don't think that they should be social workers. So we should send social workers on those. We should. We, I think our social worker like that. That system needs to be completely revamped, and that should be the person who goes in that call. The fire department shows up. They handle any medical issues. Yeah. A social worker comes and helps with the mental issues. So do we give social workers guns? No, they don't. There's no, once again, once there's an implied threat, call the police who were there to assess that. So I think this is where, like, so now we can provide nuance for, for people that 
uh, like when we go out to handle situations like this, mm-hmm. I think that there are one of five people that we can call. Right now, there's one of two, maybe, right? right? And so I, that's why I think um, when I'm talking about allowing for other personalities to fit into this particular system, mm-hmm. like do we do we give officers that additional training, or do we provide space for other people who want to be in law enforcement but maybe don't want to do traffic stops? Right. And I think Man, for me, like I, I see what you see where you're going. Okay. But I really want I want that to be separated from the police because I think that you're right. Uh-huh. I think that, you know, dealing with the criminal aspect yeah. does take a certain type of mentality, which is quick to make a judgment, uh-huh. quick to, you know, to analyze the situation, to profile. Yeah. Like, and you know, as much as I don't like the idea oh, of like, profiling, it's a quick process. But, it, but like, that's that's how it works. It's exactly. Like you built you know, you've got all these different recordings in your head from all your different experiences, mm-hmm. your trainings, and you just, just run through them as quickly as possible. Yeah. What fits about the situation that's the same? Yeah. They, it's the same with, you know, fighting a fire. You like, you look at the fire and it's like, well, this is what I've learned about fires. This looks like this kind of fire. I'm going to fight it like this kind of fire. Yeah. Right. This looks kind of, this looks like this type of situation. This person looks like they're under the mm-hmm. influence of this thing. This, I'm going to handle this like that situation. Yeah. That's not the same as having, you know, dealing with a person who's laying on the ground, you know, and is likely not a threat. He, he very well could be a threat. Yeah. But he, you can't you can't treat people like that all the time. I agree. But my question is, is do we do we expand the individual or do we expand the box? I, th- I, I think that sometimes the box needs to be turned into a, like two boxes. Okay. Yeah. Like, because I really don't think that trying to fit a social worker into the police department Uh is the thing because first they're going to get to go through recruit training. They're going to have to go through all the different stuff that builds a police officer. Yes. And then they were going to say, okay, now go be a social worker. Uh It's like, okay, wink. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to go be a police officer because you train me for, you know, you know, two years to be a police officer. I'm going to go police. And I'm going to, I'm going to report it like a social worker because that's a part of my job I do now. Yeah. Right. So like, I just, I just don't think that that there's a model of that in which they are, unless they are like police officers Mm -hmm. in name only. Yeah. Like every part of the training is completely different. Yeah. And maybe like they wear the same, even, I don't even like them wearing the same uniform because then then the public, you know, the optics are, well, they're this person, just like that person, Mm -hmm. which so one thing I loved about working in the fire department is whenever people saw us show up, they were always thinking. Yeah. Because whenever the guy in the in the blue polo shows up, mm. they're like, okay, he's here to help. He's yeah. here to make my day better. Yeah. When the, the guy in the bulletproof vest shows up, my day is about to get worse. Yeah. Like then that there's nothing you can do to change that. Uh-huh. Somebody's day is getting worse when the police show up. Oh my gosh. That's so unfortunate. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's the job that they like. It's the job. Like, Somebody needs to like something needs to be mitigated. Somebody has to go to jail. Somebody needs to be removed from the situation. Mm-hmm. A bad thing has to happen for them to do their job. Yeah. And it's not that they're doing a bad thing. It's just that for the per- for the the receiver of that act, it's going to be bad because that's how they that's how they, it's resolved. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I think I mean, we're going to have to land this plane eventually. <laughs> I want to want to think about we're talking about what pieces of us have we had to shrink or shave off? I think that there are some industries where people absolutely have to fit inside a box. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there are industries where there is no box and people may, maybe, I don't know, I hate to use the, the analogy of the box, but it's like, however you show up, 
right? There's space for it. And I think there are jobs that are along the spectrum where you get very little nuance to, to be who you want to be versus we just want to make sure you get the job done. Mm-hmm. And I remember being um, I remember being in New York in Hell's Kitchen, the Hell's Kitchen area. And we were having breakfast and that was. And now that's not the show. That is a district of yes. New York. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were at this uh, breakfast place. And when I told you there was all kinds of people there serving food. And uh, uh, I heard one of the people in the background, they're like, man, look at all the waiters. Uh, and then the, one of the waiters said, we don't care how you look as long as you can bring food to the table. Right. And I was like, whoa, we don't care. We don't care how you look as long as you can bring the food. To, as long as you're clean, you're neat. You can bring food to the table. And I mean, it was like, I, if you could put a combination of a person together, if you could miss the potato head, a waiter, <laughs> it was in the place. And we were just white, but the food was good. The service was nice. The environment was legit. And I think, I don't know that we have evolved to a place, to that place where it's like, I don't care how you show up. There are some places on the spectrum that are like that. And there's other places that are like, we need you to look like this, dress like this. Talk like this, act like this, respond and behave like this. Your body type needs to be like this. And I think in some places, as much as it pains me to say, I think that some of those places are necessary. Yeah, the nuance is small. I, I don't. I, I don't disagree. And what what's important to me and my business yeah. aspect is like I like want to coach people mm-hmm. to to be able to identify what's unique about them how it's strong yeah. and how to apply that to whatever field they're in. I love that. Because there is a place. Yeah. Like now in the fire department, it would have been hard, but if with somebody on the outside mm-hmm. helping me look at it and mm-hmm. coach me through it, I could have been successful. There. Mm. Like because actually, because don't get me wrong, I was successful there. Yeah. I was unhappy. Yeah. And that's the big thing is I want people to be successful and happy. Right. I want them to feel like they're successful as themselves. Versus like, yeah, I'm getting all the success, but I don't even know who I am. Ooh. And that's, you know, if I had made 25 years, I would have been a shell of the person I am. At the end, with all the money and the security and not even know who you are. It's like, I don't even know what I want to do now because I, am I even here? Yeah. You like, spend so. all that time doing it, being somebody else. Yeah. That's... So, so how do we prevent people from doing that? Right. Part of your, your coaching business, part of your desire is to help people identify who they are. Sharpen their skill, tell stories, figure out what that is and where it is. And I don't know that that's, do you feel like that's new? Like, you that, know, I, I, storytelling has become, I guess the storytelling is as old as time. Itself. Absolutely. As, as old as people are, storytelling has been around. Right. But infusing it into our, our, our professions and our like our corporate lives, like that, I feel like that's fairly new. Yeah. Like in the last 10 years, like there's been a bunch of different speakers who come on the scene and talk about, how storytelling is important yeah. for, you know, for like, getting people on your side, mm-hmm. how it's important for interviews, how yeah. it's important, you know, being able to tell a story and ingratiate yourself to others is so important because as humans, we desire to hear stories. Yeah. Like it, it is ingrained in us. Like it's how we're meant to encode information is yeah. through stories. Mm. So if your story is hidden, like you're hiding your story from everybody else. Yeah. You are just folding into the fabric of everything around you. Yeah. Like versus. And the, this is the most important part is getting to know your own story. Mm-hmm. Like so many people have had zero reflection on the, on the span of their lives. So good. And if you don't reflect on your life, you, you don't, you don't even realize how much power is there. Yeah. Like there's, there's, 
you know, the ability to make decisions is based on data, mm-hmm. right? The better, better data, better decisions, right? Mm-hmm. If you have looked at none of your life and you're making decisions for you moving none forward, of your data, yeah. you have, you've not accessing any of your data. So yeah. how are you making the best decision? Yeah. But if you're able to go back, look at it, you know, you can do this by yourself. A lot of people haven't done it because they're one, they're not committed to doing it. Right. Two, they don't know how to do it. Exactly. And three, they didn't even know it was a thing that they weren't doing. Yeah. And so for me, like, I want to help people do that. Yeah. Like the, and then once you are able to tap into that, just tap into your story. For one, you can make better decisions. You might decide that the profession you're in is not where you want to be mm-hmm. because you're like, wait a second, all these things are leading up to X, right? Or you figure out that there is a opportunity that you have not been capitalizing on. It's like, wait a second. So when I went to college, I did this thing. Yeah. In my first three jobs, I did this thing. And now I'm at this place that has this opportunity. I didn't mm-hmm. apply for it because I didn't realize for the last 10 years, I've been doing that thing. It was called something else. Yeah. Like right? Yeah. And there's so much power in your own story. Like nobody else can take that. Mm-hmm. Nobody else can be you. Right. So, that. so that power belongs to you, whether you use it or not, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's your own decision. I think that people should use it. Yeah. I think that's what, like, that's what I'm trying to do here is, you know, use my power of my story, which is I've been through some things. Yeah. I've seen some stuff. Yeah. And it has, it has molded me into a person who can help people navigate things, but also who's I'm totally unafraid to talk about anything that's happened to me. Wow. Like, and it, it has been a lot, but I think by sharing stories and helping people share theirs, it's going to open people up to this possibility that your story is one that's not being told. So there's power in that. Yeah. And, and you said something else I think is really important that people don't even know their own story. Mm-hmm. They don't even know their own power. Right. And, that, and to me, that's when they just live life they kind of taking it as it comes, which again, I think is is one way to live. I don't I don't think it's the best way. If we can be more active and less passive with our own story, mm-hmm. then I think we begin to be more attentive and more reflective. But I think trying to figure out having someone from the outside look in and be like, look, look at the thread that's a part of your story. I think that's powerful. And then that'll that'll gives people the opportunity to take ownership of, of those things instead of uh like I think. I don't know that people spend enough time reflecting and figuring out what their strengths are. Mm-hmm. Right. Oftentimes people will operate according to what people tell them are their strengths yeah. versus them saying, Oh, that is my strength. And for me, like for me, the the aha moment uh-huh. was whenever I was working like my last position at the fire department and I was, you know, um I was doing the fundraising for the race mm-hmm. and I was being told that the way that I was working wasn't good for the team. Mm. And I was like, but every task I've been given, every goal I was given, I've crushed. Yeah. They're like, what you're doing it by yourself. You're supposed to, you know, work with the team. It's like, well, I asked for people to do things and then they didn't do them. I just did it myself. Yeah. And I was told that that was a weakness. <sighs> Being able to be self-sufficient and mm-hmm. self-motivated was a weakness. Turns out that's my biggest strength. Mm. Like that's my superpower is to be, a one man army when necessary and to be totally focused on a thing until the job is done. Yeah. And that's partially my ADHD is that, you know, like I, whenever something excites me, I'm in it. Like I'm, I'm about that thing. I'm yeah. going to, you know, get all over. I'm going to find every crevice of it and I'm going to build it out till it's finished. Yeah. That was a bad thing. Even though the, the, the results 
said everything different. Mm -hmm. So you can't always listen to people. Absolutely. They have all their own other factors. They have their own story affecting what they say about your story. And likely they haven't looked at their story either. And that goes back to us talking about like, what do you do with input Mm -hmm. of of knowing your story is or knowing like other people's intent for you and when they provide you input, knowing if I should keep that or shed it, if I should process it. I think that's that's part of that that Mm -hmm. process as well. Man, people shaving themselves, huh? Yeah, man. Trimming themselves, trying to fit in the spaces. So let me let me tell you, this conversation went totally different than it was going to go the first time. <laughs> like when we first recorded, yeah. uh, quote unquote, recorded, recorded, right? uh, and there was no sound. This conversation went totally different. I'm so glad. Yeah. Like I think that where we went was so much deeper and so much more about authenticity yeah. than it initially was going to. And I'm like, I'm just really thankful that it. <laughs> That weird thing happened. Mm-hmm. And then we ended up just going a different direction and talking about like shaving yourself down. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I want to throw this out there. If you enjoyed today's episode, check out our earlier episodes as well. Um, and then consider subscribing because I would love to be able to keep doing this for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, the more subscribers, you know, the, the, the more it gets out there and the more it provides support for it. And if you are struggling to show up as yourself and your content, your brand, your life, I would love to help you. Um, Authentic Identity Management does brand coaching to help you align yourself with your the identity you share with the world. It's exhausting to live someone else's life. Live authentically and access the potential that belongs only to you. Contact me on social or email Bruce at Authentic Management, or sorry, Authentic Identity Management.com, or I'm on the socials, all the socials at Authentic Identity Management. That's uh, Facebook, Threads, uh, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And I think that, uh, I don't know, I think that there's such a, a huge ceiling for this podcast and for the, each individual's potential yeah. that it's just not being tapped into. So, like, I'm looking forward to so many different parts of this process, working with individuals and helping them, you know, tell their stories and also telling stories on this podcast. I think it's going to be, so, I mean, so far, two episodes in, and I think that <laughs> we're just crushing it. Like, this is going to be aired our third episode but this is this is our two co- second conversation in yeah and i think that uh and i think it's i think it's going to help people i absolutely agree and as we close if we're actually closing it sounds like we're closing yeah I mean, uh, I, we're at least closing the recording we might still talk but yeah like, I, I really think it's important for people to uh, figure out who they are um and i and i say figure out i know it's never something that you fully arrive at uh because we're always changing and evolving but i think um that process has to be intentional, right? If we don't spend time pursuing, observing, reflecting on what we've done, who we are, what we want to become, then we just kind of let life shape us, Mm -hmm. right? And I think when we let life shape us, we become a different version of ourselves than if we would have took our own lives in our own hands. And I think oftentimes people, um, they're more passive than they are active in the development of their own story. And so just for our, our listeners out there, our viewers out there, I just want to encourage people like, Reflect daily, reflect weekly, like don't let it don't don't let life go too long without you asking yourself, am I who I want to be? Am I doing what I want to do? Because if you don't, you'll wake up every Monday, every month, you'll go years and you haven't checked in with yourself. And then, you know, you you don't take really hard right turns. You just kind of drift throughout life Mm -hmm. and you end up in places where you did not anticipate yourself ending. And sometimes it's good. Most times I think it's bad. Yeah. Um, but I just want to encourage everybody to become an active participant in the development of their own story. Is this what I want to do today, tomorrow, next week, 
Is this who I want to be married to? Is this where I want to live? Is this the job I want to work? Like constantly reflect. Because if you can tell yourself yes, after you ask the question, then you're on track. If it's a no or I don't know, then it's a moment to reflect and change course. But I think we have to be active participants because if we don't, we'll just wake up. I can't tell you how many times people have just woken up and they're like, who am I? What have I done? Where am I? How long have I worked this job? And you and you catch people, even um, the, the questions and uh, the people on their deathbeds and in nursing homes and retirement centers. What's something you would have done differently? And they list all this yeah. stuff that they would have done differently. How cool would it be to address those things along the way instead of at the end of our lives? And, and if you can't do it by yourself, get help. It doesn't Absolutely. have to be me. It doesn't, you know, I'm not a therapist for one. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to, you know, fix any, um, any mental problems you're having. Yeah. Except for possibly imp- imposter syndrome. And that's mm-hmm. a whole different episode. But if you need, I mean, no, you do need to assess your story. Yeah. But if you need help doing it, get help. Like, like I said, it doesn't have to be me. Like it could be anybody, mm-hmm. but take the time to put in the work, look at your story and see what's there. Absolutely. Because I, if you haven't done it, you will be surprised. You like the biggest thing that I uncovered was how much my childhood trauma affected the my decision making later in life it was like what yeah i didn't even realize like i had no idea i was still reacting to this thing from my parents you know arguing in Mm -hmm. front of me all the time Mm -hmm. and how that affected my marriage for one it was like Mm -hmm. that was that was problematic yeah big time but that didn't i was totally unaware of it i had no idea the root of why like i was triggered by some things because i'd never looked back at my story like really wow so um Derek Sire has been here today. Derek, if people want to find more about you, where, where can they find out more about Derek? Derek Sire on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on Twitter, but I'm not active. Um, Twitter's kind of hard. Twitter's difficult. And then threads, I'm not an early adapter. It usually, it usually takes a while for me to hop on board. but um, And then I never use Snapchat, even though I'm on there as well. Um, you can go to revertmentoring.com, uh, which is my website. Uh, DerekSire.com is also another one where you can find me and contact me. Uh, Life of List is also another one, which is a book-based website based on my, uh, my second book. Find me in all those locations. Um, right, so, so plug your book real quick. I know you yeah. got books on Amazon. Yeah, right. so I got um, uh, Small Stories, Big Teams, which talks about the individual's place on big teams. Uh, and I just kind of use these small stories to talk about how you can fit into group settings. Um, Life of List is a book that's talking about, um, I used to interact with my kids uh, in the car quite a bit. And I used to ask them, uh, hey, tell me something about your day. And they'd be like, man, it feels okay. So I started tasking them with, tell me something you learned. Uh, tell me something cool that you did. And they would get in the car and they would uh, tell me the cool things about their day, people that they connected with. I just gave them very specific prompts. Mm-hmm. And then they started asking me about my day. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. We didn't discuss that. So my deal was I would come back to them with a list of things. And so based on the things that I, I listed, for that year, I wrote a book on all my observations of the okay. year. So just encouraging people to um, uh, like show some gratitude through observation. I'm um, just kind of little things. And that, uh, that's book of lists. That's life of lists. Life, life, life of lists. Of lists. And the first one was small stories, big teams. My third book um, is called A Hallway Leadership and talking about the importance of adults being visible in kids' spaces. Mm. Uh, and so in school, it's the hallway. Uh, which is where the teachers are not in charge. That's kids' domain. Right. And so, like, how do we become active, visible in kids' spaces mm. uh, as adults? And then the fourth book is called uh, Dear Ricky. I know you wrote four books. Yeah. So Dear Ricky is uh, it's a it's a 
it's almost like a journaling book. But I was talking to a guy named Shamil Gary, who's the co-author of this book as well. And uh, I was like, man, have you ever went to school with somebody who was like smarter, more handsome, like they jumped higher, ran faster. They like was uh, good with the ladies, you know. And then 10 years later, you're like, yo, what happened to that guy? And uh, he wasn't as successful or it didn't turn out the way he thought he was going to turn out. And uh, he was like, yeah, man, I went to school with a guy named Richard. And I was like, we could go back and give Richard a heads up on something like, what would it be? Mm-hmm. And so we created these um, these four main it's uh, physical health and wellness, mental health and wellness, affirmations and relationships in the four categories. And we just wrote these little notes in these subsections of like, Ricky, drink more water. Or Ricky, take naps. Or Ricky, blood is not thicker than water. Or Ricky, hang around old people. Ricky, get a mentor. Mm-hmm. And so it's called Dear Ricky because we're writing these little oh, notes man, that's awesome. back to Ricky. And so it's a mentoring book that we use uh, to help launch mentoring organizations. Um, and so that's the fourth book. Um, you can find that on uh, dear-ricky.com. Uh, the other is lifeofthis.com. It's small stories. And um, Holly Leadership, you can find just by our Google and Derek Tire. All right, man. That was a lot. That's a lot. You yeah. got any, the last question. You got anything coming up that any big, big, big events, big news? Um, yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be working with the city of Oklahoma City on Wednesday, uh, helping them with a um, their uh, executive leadership. Um, they have a cohort that's a year long, and so kind of walking them through some D I and D type of things. Uh, I'll I don't be, know either one of those means, but okay. uh, it's like diversity. Oh, yes, like we talked right? about this already. Yeah, yeah we did. Every time um, you throw in the IED, it throws me off. I'm yeah, like, what? it's like the IED in the arm. Like, yes. so that's diversity. Equity and inclusion. Yes. Um, but it's a, just kind of a, we're trying to backdoor the conversation just because I believe it's gotten so narrow and mm. muddy. And so. Well, I mean, I we just talked a lot about this. To the city of Oklahoma City. I wasn't going to say what part of it. I did. So uh, yeah. So you know some of my thoughts about it. And yeah. I think we talked. I think we. I think we made some headway on that. That might hopefully might help you enter that conversation with a little bit more information. Yes. Whenever. Yeah. 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 And so, so based on that conversation, um, I've kind of reformulated uh, an approach to that right because okay. I was talking about how I'm more of a connection and relationship guy, mm-hmm. and then you were like, "That's what it is. Like that's all what it is." And so mm-hmm. I focused a little bit more on that. Um, I'm working with Career Checks for the State. Um, I'll be in Utah doing some things, and then I'll come back and I'll fly from Utah to Atlanta and Atlanta back to Oklahoma City, where I'll be hosting uh, an event called Ripple OKC with Doug Hacking. I'll be emceeing that. And that's like a TED Talk uh, type of uh, thing. Um, And then uh, the following Sunday, I'll be working with the men's group. And so... Trying to stay active, man. Trying to stay busy. So so when is Ripple? Like, is that that a thing that people... We'll have the opportunity to attend. Or yeah, Ripple like is, a, is a public event. You can actually go to uh, Ripple. I think it's RippleOKC.com. Okay. Um, and you can find out about the event. It's Friday, August 4th, I believe is the so date. So all this is happening that quickly? Yeah, the next two weeks are pretty busy for me. Oh, man. my God. I'm so glad I caught you when I did. Yeah. You're about to, <laughs> and you're so I said, when you get back. So when we, when we were texting, I was like, I shot you that immediate day because I knew if it wasn't before then, then it, after the next two weeks, you'll push you in the second, third week of August. Okay, yeah. Uh, so I want to get on there pretty soon, yeah, um, which is really, really cool. But yeah, just staying busy, man. Everything is connection, community, and mentorship based. Like I said, when we started out two hours ago, yeah. Uh, like I try to really stay in those lanes. Um, and so being able to work not only in the state of Oklahoma, but um, I'll be going Tulsa, uh, Oklahoma City, Tulsa, Utah, Atlanta, back to Oklahoma City. 
uh, over the course of two weeks. Uh, I'm excited about being able to talk about the things, man. Yeah, uh, thank you so much for coming on, like especially for coming on early on my podcast. Yeah. Like, you easily could have been like, get a couple episodes on your belt. Oh, no, and and then I'll show up for you. like Because I think that this is going to, very early on, provide a tone for the kind of show that I want to do. Yeah. Like, I think that, you know, these kind of, you know, serious, important conversations while also having fun. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so important. And they're like, there's so much to be gained from them. And like having different people's opinions shared in a space where, yeah. you know, I'm not trying to attack you. You're not trying to attack me at all. We might, you know, we might have some differing opinions, but hopefully we're going to learn something. Absolutely. And those shared insights are going to create growth in, you know, in our society. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to be like, in the same way that, that Joe Rogan has people back on three, four, five times, <laughs> I want to be the guy that comes back. Right. And be like, what are we talking about this time? Baby? Episode six. Very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Episode eight. He'll <laughs> just become my co-host after this. You know, it's like Bruce and Derek are authentic on air. I love that. Hey man, I want to, I want to applaud you on taking this, this leap, this jump. Hey, thank you, man. Like, I mean, you were, you were part of it. Yeah. Like just how, you know, like I said, our conversations, you know, uh, what our conversations were called failure talks. Cause oh, I, I, you know, I met with him and I just asked him, he's, he's like, if there's anything I could do to help you, what would it be? And I said, I want to learn from your failures. Yeah. Like you've already done it. Like, don't, I don't want to do it again. Mm-hmm. If there's something I can learn from, like, let, let me do that. Absolutely. And he see, he's taking the time to sit down with me a couple hours, you know, every couple of weeks, and yeah. just talk through the ways that he's, you know, kind of gone awry in different, like many, you know, from family life to business life and everything. And yeah. just, has laid it out for me and I'm and I've learned some valuable insights and not taking the right steps early enough was was some some of those and from you yeah. and Regina and uh my friend Kate all of those things were saying you need to start podcasting now yeah you need to stop waiting because it's like this was always the thing that was like yeah I think I'll do that eventually mm-hmm. and it was like just do the thing yeah stop like waiting for all the stars to align just start doing it you made the joke <laughs> And my wife said, like, last night, this is weird. My wife said, I'm so proud of you. And I was like, okay, thank you. Yeah. But then she said it again. Mm-hmm. Like, she told me she's proud of me before. She's never told me twice in the same day. <laughs> and I was like, what is going on? What she's, is happening? she's like, I could have told you whenever I met you over 15 years ago mm-hmm. that this would have been a space where you would have been great in. Mm-hmm. Like, I've always thought you need to talk to people and you yeah. need to help people. And I was like, you know. I usually don't have a problem getting confident. Like I, like I like my accolades, but this was on a different level. Yeah. And it was like, cause I've also been feeling for one, like I'm in the midst of a moment mm-hmm. where things are about to change significantly for me. Yeah. Like I was like, I feel like I'm no, like I'm feeling very meta. It's like, I'm doing the thing right Ooh. now. And like, I never felt that way before. Yeah. You know, it's like when we moved down here to, you know, change our life to start the fire department, like, you know, we left Tulsa to come to Oklahoma city. Like mm-hmm. that was a big move. It didn't feel like this is the thing. Like it didn't feel like it begins now. Mm. That like as I was setting up my studio in here, I was like, it's starting. Ooh. And I was like, and then for, for her to have that in, she's like, I'm proud of you. I was like, okay, this is feeling, this is feeling real. Like yeah. real, like good in a good way. It's not feeling like there's not extra pressure in these. It's just like it's happening. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I'm really excited. And thank you for your time man. and your your commitment. And I man, it's, I think it's gonna be a really good thing. Yeah. And um I hope that, you know, you are able to, some of the people that you have who support you mm-hmm. will listen and will gain something and hopefully will, you know, maybe even reach out and want to be on the show because I know you know some pretty, you know some heavyweights. Yeah, man. Uh, I, I keep I keep uh, showing up at events 
I keep shaking hands and those <laughs> hands turn into other hands. And so I, I love it. Uh, yeah, this is going to be this is a good project, man. I'm proud of you, bro. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to Authentic on Air with Bruce Alexander. This has been Derek Sire, and he has been a fantastic guest, and he will be back. So thank you, everybody. Have a great day. Peace. Peace.